This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. And sometimes our hearts can get so hard and that fallow ground needs to be broken up. Personal revival has to take place. There has to be the understanding and the knowledge that, man, I'm just not moved by things of God anymore. I'm not moved by His Word anymore. I'm not moved in worship. I'm not moved by the teaching or the preaching of the Word. I'm just going through the motions. I'm just doing a religious thing. What happens when seed is planted on hard ground? Chances are, nothing happens. Either the seed will be trampled on or eaten by some animal. Nothing grows in hard ground. Jesus explained this same principle to us in the parable of the sower. The hard ground yielded nothing. In that parable, the hard ground represented a heart that was unprepared for the Word of God. So how is your heart? Is it hardened by the things of this world? Have you become jaded? Maybe it's time to start plowing the ground. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Hosea, chapter 9, verse 1, for today's study. What is it that we can do as individuals to really stand against God? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, we may, as our feeble little beings are, stand and shake our fist against God and say, God, I'm going to be your enemy. And God looks at us. And probably with the blink of an eye or the very smallness of a breath could take us out just like that. The only reason he hasn't destroyed his enemies is because, as the word said, God is long-suffering, not wishing that any would perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. You see, it's the patience and it's the long-suffering of God. And yet, still, we continue to build temples without his spirit, fortified cities without his protection. Chapter 9. Again, the judgment keeps coming. This is kind of like, okay, it, it is it is a book of going out to the woodshed, okay? I understand that. So it's really kind of hard for me as a pastor to bring you a real encouraging word in the midst of this. But if you hang with me, the last chapter is encouraging, okay? But chapter 9, here we're going to, we're still in the woodshed, okay? Do not rejoice, O Israel, with joy like other people, for you have played the harlot against your God. You've made love for hire on every threshing hole, uh, threshing floor. The threshing floor and the wine press shall not feed them. The new wine shall fail in her. They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt and shall eat unclean things in Assyria. And again, they sought help from Egypt as much as they sought help from Assyria. And again, God is saying, you know what? You're going the wrong direction. Verse 4. They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, nor shall their sacrifices be pleasing to him. It shall be like bread of mourners to them. All who eat it shall be defiled. In other words, as part of their worship services, offering of the sacrifices, and then they were allowed to partake of these things. Well, because they were offering these sacrifices to these pagan gods, God is saying, not only is that wrong, but even in the eating of these things, you're going to be further defiled. Their bread shall be for their own life, and it shall not come into the house of the Lord. What will you do in the appointed day and in the day of the feast of the Lord? 
for indeed they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. Memphis shall bury them. Needles shall possess their valuables of silver, and thorns shall be in their tent. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to do away with all of the celebrations, all of the feasts, because they mean absolutely nothing. Their worship was empty to the Lord because it was all external, because it was all just going through the motions rather than a heart that's poured out, emptied out before the Lord coming into worship. We, for ourselves, you know, when we come to worship, when we come before the Lord, whether it be when we gather corporately or when we are alone on our own, how much do we go through the motions versus how much of it is really from the depth of our hearts? The days of punishment, verse 7 says, the days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel knows the prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is insane. Interesting. It says, because of the greatness of your iniquity and great calamity, false prophets, liars, none of these things. Again, all of this is, is just actions, just things that are, that are going through the motion. Even verse 8, the watchman of Ephraim is with my God, but the prophet is a fowler's snare in all his ways, enmity in the house of his God. They are deeply corrupted as in the days of Gibeah, he will remember their iniquity and he will punish their sins. I'm not going to go there tonight, but in the book of Judges, chapter 19, you can read and understand what he's saying about the days of Gibeah. The days of Gibeah, in just a, a short scenario, the wickedness of Israel was just absolutely horrendous. I mean, vile, vile, and wicked. And in the book of Judges, chapter 19, uh, particularly beginning in verse 22, you read a situation uh, there that, that's, that's as bad as anything that Sodom and Gomorrah did. It was as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah there in Israel and the acts that were taking place during that time. So let's leave it there. So as he says, uh, they're, they're deeply corrupted as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. And then again, God goes back to try to remind them. He says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. I remember uh, when uh, on our fig tree and, and uh, the grapes that were growing. When our fig tree was real little and it got its first fig, I was excited. You could ask my wife. As a matter of fact, I called my aunt. And I said, I got a fig. How can I can this thing? So, uh, you know, it was a joke. But I, I was so excited about getting that one fig. And that's just a tree. But God is saying, you were like the first fruits on a fig tree in its first season. God was excited about birthing that nation, about bringing them in like grapes in the wilderness. But they went. To Baal Peor. They separated themselves to that shame. They became an abomination like the thing they loved. As for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. In other words, God says, I'm not going to bless you in any way. And you got to understand, you know, for, for that culture, 
to have children and, and families. I mean, that was such a huge, huge blessing. I mean, it's a blessing in our culture, but it was even more so then. And for God to close up the womb or for God to not allow uh, the birth, man, what, what a thing that was. And particularly for God to say, this is going to happen because I'm punishing you. It's not just what's going on. It's because I'm punishing you because of this. He says, though they bring up their children, yet I will bereave them to the last man. Yes, woe to them when I depart from them. Just as I saw Ephraim like Tyre planted in a pleasant place, so Ephraim will bring out his children to where? To the murderer. I don't think we could put much of a better correlation between the adoption or the abortion industry than what we see here and the more our country has pulled away from god the more abortions there are and that's an industry that continues to grow and i believe when i look at things like this i say god how far we have fallen how far we have allowed our country to go when you've blessed us in so many ways and yet we are bringing our children to the murderers. He says in verse 14, Give them, O Lord, what will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. All their wickedness is in Gilgal. For there I hated them. Because of the evil of their deeds, I will drive them from my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebellious. Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Yes, where were they to bear children, I would kill the darlings of their womb. My God will cast them away because they did not obey him. And they shall be wanderers among the nations. And that's exactly what happened when the Assyrians came in. They dispersed them. They didn't just take them into captivity. Man, they scattered them all over. And then they brought other nations in to, again, mix within the people there to try to totally annihilate that whole culture, that whole kingdom. Chapter 10. Israel empties his vine. In other words, he wastes his fruit. He brings forth fruit for himself according to the multitude of his fruit. He's increased his altars, and these are altars to false gods. He says he's increased his altars according to the bounty of his land. They've embellished his sacred pillars, but their heart is divided. Now they are held guilty, and he will break down their altars, and he will ruin their sacred pillars. When he says their heart is divided, he speaks about them being unstable, about their, their hearts that are undirected. And what does James say about being even double-minded, about being double-minded? You're unstable in all your ways. And this is what was going on with Israel. On one hand, oh yeah, we, we love God, but we worship Him through these, through these calves or through these pagan gods. Oh yeah, and by the way, we're still living a lifestyle of all the pagan countries around us and the pagan people around us. Oh, but we love God. God says, no, that's, 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 that, that's, that can't be there. That, that's a heart that's divided. Verse 3, he says, for now they say we have no king because we did not fear the Lord. And as for a king, what would he do for us? They've spoken words, swearing falsely and making a covenant. Thus judgment springs up like hemlock in the furrows of the field. So you got this 
literal poisonous. You're, you're, you planted the field and you're waiting for the fruit of, of the, and the produce that you planted to come forth. He says, no, hemlock is coming up in the middle of it. The inhabitants of Samaria, they fear because of the calf of Beth-Avon. And remember last time, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Beth-Avon is actually Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. But throughout this book in Hosea, uh, he, the Lord changes it and says, not the house of God, but the house of wickedness. Beth-Avon is the house of wickedness. And he says, so they fear, uh, uh, the inhabitants of Samaria fear because of the calf of the house of wickedness. Bethel was where they put these calves to worship. It says, for its people mourn for it, its priests seek for it, but its glory has departed for them. The idol has been carried to Assyria. When Assyria came and took the people uh, again captive and began to disperse them, they took the calf that they worshipped as part of their uh, victory prizes, part of, again, what they could go back and say, hey, look what we got from these peoples, part of their victory celebration. As Assyria took it as a present for King Jerob, Ephraim shall receive shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his own counsel. As for Samaria, her king is cut off like a twig on the water. Also the high places of Avon, again, that wicked place, the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. The high places, the places of worship, the places of sacrifice. He says, they'll be destroyed and thorn and thistle are going to grow on their altars. They shall say to the mountains, cover us and to the hills, fall on us. It's interesting when we look at that, we've got to be reminded of the book of Revelation and that sixth seal judgment and the kings of the earth and the princes running and crying out for the mountains to fall on them because they knew the very wrath of God was going to come upon them. And they would rather be crushed by the mountains and by the boulders than to face the wrath of God. And I believe that's the very same thing that we're looking at here. In verse 9, O Israel, you have sinned from the days of Gibeah. Remember, Gibeah, we spoke about that a moment ago. You, you send from the days of Gibeah. There they stood. The battle in Gibeah against the children of iniquity did not overtake them. When it is my desire, I will chasten them. In other words, God says, in my time frame, in my time frame, I'll take care of these things. People shall be gathered against them when I bind them for their two transgressions. Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh grain. But I harnessed her fair neck, and I will make Ephraim pull a plow. Judah shall plow. Jacob shall break his clods. In other words, break up clods. Think about this for a minute. Again, the illustration or the metaphor of, 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 a, of a heifer, a trained heifer that threshes the grain. What's the work of that heifer? They walk around in a circle all day, and we know biblically... You don't want to muzzle the ox that treads the grain. So all day long, that heifer or that ox is able to just walk around and eat and just walk and eat. Not the toughest of jobs for a cow, okay? But what he's saying here is, no, I'm going to take you from that. Now I'm going to put a, a yoke on you, and now I'm going to plow with you. And it's going to be a much tougher existence for them, a much tougher life. It says in verse 12, you need to sow for yourselves righteousness in order that you can reap in mercy. 
He says, you need to break up your fallow ground for it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. So he takes kind of the same metaphor of the ground. He says, in your own life, your hearts are so hard. It's like the the ground that we have around here that the rain comes on and packs it down and it becomes like concrete. He says, you need to break that up in order that something can actually be coming out of it, can actually be produced from it. Again, if you you garden around here, you know as well as I do, you've got to do something to the soil if you expect anything to come out of it. If you, and, and particularly when you think of how they planted in those days, there was a lot of scattering. So the ground had to be open. It had to be soft. It wasn't like they were going to go and dig a hole, put a seed and cover it up, dig a hole, cover it up. No, for the most part, it was scattering the seed. So the ground had to be broken up and able to receive that seed. And that's the same way in our lives, just as it was for them. And sometimes our hearts can get so hard. And that fallow ground needs to be broken up. Personal revival has to take place. There has to be the understanding and the knowledge that, man, I'm just not moved by things of God anymore. I'm not moved by His Word anymore. I'm not moved in worship. I'm not moved by the teaching or the preaching of the Word. I'm just going through the motions. I'm just doing a religious thing. And I'm coming to church, and maybe I'm sitting under the teaching, and maybe I'm serving, but am I really moved by God in my life? Is there really something that's being produced in my life? Or am I simply going through the motions? And beloved, that's what they were doing. And that's why God said, no, you need to break up that fallow ground. You need to sow for yourselves righteousness in order that you might be able to reap mercy. It's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Problem is, he says, for them, you've plowed wickedness and you've reaped iniquity. You've eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way. And in the multitude of your mighty men, you've trusted them. He says, therefore, Tumult shall arise among your people. In other words, there's going to be inner struggles. There's going to be uh, rebellion from within the country. And he says, and all of your fortresses shall be plundered. That's exterior battles. That's the enemy from the outside that's coming in. And Shalman, as Shalman plundered Beth Arbel in the day of battle, a mother dashed in pieces upon her children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Beth El. He actually calls it by name here. Because of your great wickedness, at dawn the king of Israel shall be cut off utterly. And again, God goes back to the reminder of, again, the sweetness of the time with them. He says, chapter 11, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. Now, this is a a prophetic declaration. Even in Matthew, they refer this to being about Jesus. But it's also about God calling 
Israel out of Egypt. So it has, again, as we've shared many times in these prophetic messages, having a two- or a threefold interpretation of them. So even here, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son. As they called them, so they went from them. Then they sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to carved images. So God called them, but yet they turned away. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms. That's kind of that loving care. And any of you guys, if you've had little children or if you forgot when your children were little, if you can remember your grandchildren, uh, you, 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 you know that, that tenderness of how you got to be with those little ones and how careful you have to be as they're learning how to walk. And that's what God is saying. That's what I did with you. I, I brought you out as a, as, as just a, a mixed group of people called you in and, and I built you up as a nation, and I strengthened you, I took care of you, I blessed you, I caused you to prosper, I gave you a great nation. And then they went to the carved images and burning incense there. They went to these other pagan gods. He says in verse 4, I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and I fed them. Again, the tender mercy of God. Beloved, I think every one of us can attest to those times in our own personal lives. How God does that and works that in our lives. And He comes and He's called us to Himself. He's revealed Himself to us. And I don't know about you, but I don't think it was in your life that when God called you to Himself, that God came with the big finger and He stuck it in your face. He said, you better turn or you're going to burn. I don't think that God, now I know a lot of evangelists that move that way, but I don't think that God moves that way. As a matter of fact, it's the word of God that declares that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And the tenderness and the mercy of God comes and takes us where we're at and says, if you'll follow me, if you'll come and follow me, I will heal you, I will deliver you, I will redeem you. That's the promise of God. And God is saying, I've done that with you. Like a little child, I, I taught you how to walk. I, I came around you. I, I drew you together with gentle cords, with bands of love. I took that yoke from off of your back, off of your neck. Verse 5, he shall not return to the land of Egypt. But the Assyrian shall be his king. So again, God is saying, no, they're not going to go back into Egyptian bondage. Now it's going to be Assyrian bondage. Why? Because they refuse to repent. Verse 6, and the sword shall slash in his cities, devour his districts, and consume them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on backsliding from me. Though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt him. Beloved, we could sing all day, I exalt you, I exalt you. But in reality, the words is not what exalts him. It's our lives. Now, our words can be from what's inside of us coming out. And that's glorious and that's wonderful. And I believe that that's precious to our Lord. But when the words come out and it's not real in our lives, then I believe that that's putrid 
to our Lord. He does not want empty praise. He says, my people are so bent on backsliding. They call me the Most High, but they don't exalt me. How can I give you up, Ephraim? You know, just the tender mercy of God. Who, Man, I, I, you're my child. And yet you've turned against me, you've turned against me. You've rejected me, you've gone after all these pagan gods. So you're going to be disciplined. You're going to be disciplined harshly. Then he comes back. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue sharing with us from the Minor Prophets next time. What we'll learn is that even though many of these books are quite short, they are full of important prophetic insights. Now, we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to The Open Word Facebook page. You can also subscribe to The Open Word Podcast at TheOpenWord.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. The Open Word Podcast is always available and completely free. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to the Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to the Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study as Pastor David shares insights from the Minor Prophets. That's next time on The Open Word.